We continue our study uh, of the book of John today. Uh, We'll be reading today from John chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 20 through 40 through the end of the chapter. Uh, You can follow along on the screens behind us, or uh, if you have a pew Bible, it'll be on page 1151, beginning in verse 20 of John chapter 18. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The word of the Lord. This morning we're looking at the trial of Jesus. There are actually three trials that are recorded here, but there are four total in the Gospels, but we're really looking at the third one before uh, Pilate. I want you to know up front that it's not what you think it is about. It's not what it seems. It's better. That is, I think there's a, a tremendous joy that can be taken from this horrible description of a trial for us. And so I want us to see the reality Jesus has been arrested and he's at Caiaphas's house who at night who wants to 
get rid of him, to get him off of people's minds and hearts. Jesus has become an inconvenient truth to the Jewish leaders. He's become an inconvenient truth because ever since he began his ministry three years before this, they have said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for the Jewish leaders, that is a threat. They fear. They fear that if Jesus takes hold and he becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that they won't be needed anymore. No one will follow them. No one will respect them. And because they fear him, they no longer want him. And so what they want is to discredit Jesus, not simply to have him killed, because literally the only thing that the Jewish leaders could extract the ultimate punishment for a crime is the crime of blasphemy, which they have already accused Jesus of. That is, the Romans would not have gotten up in arms if they had picked up stones and just stoned Jesus. But that wouldn't discredit him. In fact, that would turn him into a martyr. They need him executed in a way that all Jews recognized as not just a horrific death, but a discredit of his teaching and his movement. And that was crucifixion. But they could not crucify. They could not condemn someone to be crucified. And so they needed the Romans. They needed to go to Pilate. Because if they could get him crucified, they all know Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, For a hanged man is a cursed man of God. They need him on a tree. So all the followers of Jesus would see that he's been cursed by his God. And only the Romans could do that. And so in the early morning, while it's still dark, they take him to Pilate. Who's Pilate? Pilate is a Spaniard. He's from Seville, Spain. He grew up there and he wanted to better his life, so he joined the Roman Legion. It's kind of like joining the army to to get out of poverty. He did that. He didn't have a remarkable career. In fact, he had almost a nondescript career as a military officer. In fact, his career doesn't take off until he marries up. He marries Augustus Caesar's granddaughter, Claudia. And so what does every father-in-law want is to give him a job so that he can advance, so that he could make a life for his daughter of substance. But he doesn't really like him. He doesn't really respect him because he's not earned anything on his own. And so he makes him the governor of Judea. And before you think, man, that, that's great to, to be the governor of Palestine, no Roman governor wanted to be the governor of Judea. Most Romans viewed the Judeans, the Jews, as inflexible, as hard to get along with, as really strange customs, willing to die rather than to worship Caesar. And so they send him to the backwaters of the Roman Empire, and that's what they viewed Judea as. Not because he was banishing him, but he said he was trying to see if he could make a career there, then maybe we could give him another job in a more important place later. There's been a number of insurrections, a number of revolutions in and around Pilate's time to the point where he, he just wants peace. 
He's known for incredible disrespectful toward Jews. He hated the Jews. Can you imagine? Not only did the Jews struggle with Romans, but Caesar put a hater of Jews as their governor. He was not just disrespectful. He he literally put the image of Caesar on all of the shields of all of the soldiers that walked around Jerusalem. And that was an affront, the second commandment. No image of anything in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth. But not only that, he sent his soldiers into the temple. This defilement of their religion. And then when insurrections would come up, he was brutal. He not only would wipe out insurrectionists and place them on crosses, but he would kill the families of insurrectionists all the way down to children. So they hated him and he hated them. This is who Jesus stood before. Not an innocent man, not a man that was unaware, but a, a man that they hated. But they were willing to get rid of Jesus so much that they were willing to take it to Pilate. And Pilate has four questions that he asks in our passage. He asks one to the re, uh, religious leaders. He's going to ask uh, a two to Jesus, and he's going to ask one to the crowds. Jesus had now become an incredible, inconvenient truth, not only to the Jewish leaders, but to Pilate. He wants, he wants nothing to do with Jesus, but at the same time, he wants to keep peace. And so in order to keep peace, he has to condemn an innocent man. And as we look at these four questions, I want you to think about yourself. It's so easy to make these academic questions and just say, well, I got that piece of information. But if you miss these four questions for yourself, you've missed the heart of Christianity. You miss the heart of what it means to love Jesus and love, and have Jesus love you. The first uh, question, let me give you its context. It's in verses 28 through 32. The context is, this has all happened while it's still dark. You don't do things in the dark unless you're afraid of the light. It shows both their rush to judgment. They need to get Jesus off the planet. They need to get Jesus out of the way. They need to get him executed. So they bring him to Pilate. It says in the early morning, it's still dark when they show up at his headquarters. It also shows their terrible concern over the crowds. If you know anything about crowds, we've seen it already, is they're fickle. They'll be for you. One moment, and they'll be against you the next moment. Uh, Jesus, a week earlier, heard the cries of Hosanna uh, in the highest as he came into Jerusalem. But a week later, in the courts of Pilate, they hear crucify him, the same crowds. The religious leaders know this. So they want to make this expedient. When the crowds aren't as large, so they do it in the early morning, in the dark, Because they don't want the crowds to turn on them because they know that Jesus was popular as he came into town. Verse 28 also tells us they did not even enter the governor's headquarters. I think that's important because they did not like that governor. But it wasn't just that he was brutal and disrespectful. It's also because he was a Gentile. And for Jewish leaders, that made him dirty. That made him... uh, uh, 
a non-religious, someone that they don't want to be around, that coming into contact, being around him, being in his headquarters, made them defiled to the point where it says that they were afraid that they would be disqualified to go to Passover the next day. He had come out to them, it says. And I think that's important because it's incredibly disrespectful for the honored one to go to the one who's approaching. The people. The people needed to come to him and instead, out of a tremendous disrespect and demeaning, he goes to them because he wants peace. And so he asks his first question in verse 29. Pilate goes out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? He, he just wants to know, what's he done wrong? He's not asking what minor traffic offense that he has caused. He's, he's not asking that, is there something that is a misdemeanor that he did? He wants to know, what's the capital offense? You're bringing him to me because I can bring the ultimate penalty of death. What has he done? What has Jesus done wrong? You notice they never answer that question. They, they don't give an accusation of something that Jesus had done wrong. They never say. In fact, they give a sarcastic teenage answer. That's not to belittle teenagers, but listen to the sarcasm. You almost miss it in the English. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What you don't get in your translation is, duh, we're here in the early morning hours. We're bringing him to you. We could have stoned him. They're revealing their real heart. If Bill Ingvall was here, he would have said, Pilate, here's your sign. It's obvious he's done something wrong. And all Pilate's asking is, what? And because they had no accusation, Pilate in verse 31 says, then why don't you judge him for yourselves? In verse 31, we see their real heart. We want him dead. And we want him dead the way you kill people. Because Deuteronomy says that a man who hangs is cursed by God. They wanted to make a spectacle of Jesus to deny the inconvenient truth that he's their savior. Why is it important that Jesus be innocent? See, verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show of what kind of death he was going to die. Pilate will even admit at the very end in verse 38, I find no guilt in him. Paul will say, he who knew no sin. This is what I don't want us to miss this morning about Jesus. If there's no guilt in Jesus, then the guilt has to lie somewhere else. If Jesus is innocent, then someone else must be guilty for him to go to the cross. There has to be another reason for his death. Pilate's going to turn from that conversation with the religious leaders and he begins a conversation with Jesus. Again, trying to find out what he's done wrong. And he asks his second question, this time to Jesus. 
Are you, this is verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? You see, Pilate is connected. He's heard the rumors. His home is not in Jerusalem. All governors live in Caesarea, which is outside Jerusalem. He's come to Jerusalem because it's Passover and there's been threats of insurrections and revolutions. And, and so he's brought his army into town. He's put him in the barracks. He's in his headquarters to squash any threat of a revolution during Passover when all of these people have come to town. But he has heard. He's heard about some man named Lazarus who was dead four days later later he's alive he's heard about Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God coming he's heard about Jesus miracles he's heard the hosannas as he was coming into Jerusalem that he might be a king in fact Jesus never denies that he is a king and it's, it's not like the Jews didn't already have an idea of the Messiah, the Christ being a king. The promise is that he would be a king who would sit upon the throne of David forever. And so the concern that was, is he that king? In fact, Jesus' answer should cause Pilate some concern. In verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about it from the very beginning. Even on the Sermon on the Mount, he he teaches them how to pray. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. He's telling them about a kingdom that he is the king of. And and understand, because we don't have boundaries, that is, you can't go out... uh, 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 the Interstate 95 down south and see the boundary. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Jesus is governor. There's no sign to the boundaries. And so we tend to think of kingdoms in physical ways. And Jesus is coming and say, eventually it will be physical. But right now I'm ushering in a spiritual kingdom. A, a, a reality in physical in heaven but spiritual here on earth. And so you you say, how do we see that kingdom? How can we taste and touch and know that kingdom? Since there's no boundaries, there's no capital, there's no place to go and, and feel the kingdom. If you think of the kingdom as wherever the king rules, then you know the answer to that question. Wherever we submit to our king, The world sees his kingdom. The church is not the kingdom of God, but it is the appetizer. It is the signpost that there is a king and that there is a kingdom because we are his subjects. And by us, the world sees our king. Third question And this is an incredibly important question. Pilate is responding to something that Jesus has said about truth. And he asks the question in verse 38, what is truth? That's an academic debate. 
And he answers in the, the response that Pilate is making is to this statement in verse 37. Jesus says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I told you a little earlier that if Jesus was innocent, but yet still died, then it must mean that guilt lies with someone else. That is, is if if the innocent dies, then there really was a guilty. It just wasn't the one who died. And so the question is, who's responsible? Who's the one that caused the death of God who came to this planet to save? I want to tell you who that guilty person is. That guilty person is me. I'm the reason that Jesus died. I'm the reason he was flogged. I'm the reason he wore a crown of thorns. I'm the reason. It's my guilt. It's my shame. It's my hiding. It's my sin. It's my brokenness for which he came. If you didn't do anything wrong, if you are the innocent, I am convinced he still would have come. He still would have come for me. He came to rescue me. He says it. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come. You think about it. You think about a father who sees his own son in need. His own daughter in need. What father doesn't go? And rescue. Before the foundation of the world, God looked on this planet that He had not yet even created and saw me. He saw my need. You know the definition of a good parent? The definition of a good parent isn't that a parent comes and rescues a child when a child cries out for need. Who doesn't do that? A good parent sees the need before the child cries for the need. That's what God did. Before I ever knew I had a need for him, he sent his son into the world to rescue me. Even if you are innocent, I'm not. And if you're looking for someone to blame, It's me. I'm the one who died, who caused Christ to die in my place for my sin. That's the beauty of the twist here. It's not Jesus on trial. It's me. It's you. He sent Jesus to rescue us. In order to rescue me, He had to forgive me. You know what God never says? He never looks at his children and says, when they really mess up, it'll be okay. It's not that big a deal. In a while, this will all get better. 
things are going to turn around for you. You know, just redouble your efforts, get harder, work longer, be better. It's something our Heavenly Father never says to me. That's what the world says. What the Father says is, I can't dismiss what you have done. I have to enter in and pay the penalty for what you have done to straighten it out. In order to forgive, I have to take your place and die in your stead. And that includes causing him to go to the cross. This is the truth that Jesus tells us is the reason for which he has come. And it is the reason why he was born. And I want you to know that this truth isn't an idea. This truth isn't academic information for you to apply. It's a person. It's personal. Jesus doesn't say, I have the truth. He says, I am the truth. It's the reason they wanted to kill him. How do you know he's truth? Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And what do they hear? I forgive you. I love you. Your sin, your blame, your guilt, your fear, your shame aren't something to run from. You are to run to me because I cover all of them. Does that mean you always believe that? Does that mean that it's easy now for you, for me? No. My, my favorite story, only because if, if Presbyterians could have patriot saints, this would be our guy. Do you know the story of the father who has a son who's having convulsions? And he comes to Jesus because he's heard about Jesus healing all these people. And he says, uh, Jesus, I, I've got a son and he's got all of this illness. He's got this affliction. Can you heal him? He knows he can. You remember what Jesus' response to him is? He says to this desperate father, all things are possible for those who believe. Do you remember what the father says back? He says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Don't you see? If all it took was somebody to tell us the truth one time, we'd all be okay now. But we're not. Because we need to be helped with our unbelief, even though we already believe. Which brings us to this fourth question. Pilate has found no guilt in Jesus but he needs to keep the peace in verse 38. Pilate turns now from Jesus to the back to the crowd. And he has been gathering to ask this fourth and final question. He offers one prisoner to set free for Passover. Evidently, it was a custom under the Roman law. And so he turns and he says, do you want Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Can you imagine? They want Barabbas. 
And we have so anesthetized this passage to call Barabbas a thief. That is so demeaning and so degrading to what Barabbas has done. Barabbas is a murderer. He's an insurrectionist, a revolutionary. Romans did not crucify thieves. They put them in jail. They made them work off. They made them pay back. They didn't kill them. He turns to the crowd. This guy you just announced as Hosanna, the highest. Do you want him? No, we'd rather have Barabbas. What would we do? Would you do anything different? But that's what's being offered you today. Is a Jesus who has come for the purpose to forgive you and me. To tell us how much a father loves his children. He's going to have to change everything about us, about me, in order to be my savior, to be my king. Somehow the church has gotten this idea that Christians have gotten this idea that you can have him as a savior, but you're not going to have him as a king. It's impossible because it's the same person. And so if you follow Jesus, if I follow Jesus, it means that I have a new leader And it's not me. He determines where I live and who my friends are. He determines where I go to church. He determines how I live my life, how I raise my children. Don't you see? That's who's being offered you today. The one who really has seen what you, what I have done. What I have done. I put God on a cross. And killed him. And yet he's willing to say, I forgive you. That's who's being offered you today. Would you rather have Barabbas or Jesus? Don't you see? Reality isn't what you thought. You thought this was going to be a trial about Jesus. But it's really a trial about me. And it's a trial about you. It's a whole lot better because you can have him. All you have to do is say, Jesus, you're my Savior. You are my Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you're in the camp of, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. What a great prayer today. Because you've been hiding. Or you're full of shame or guilt. And you have found no resolution, even in the church. Find it in Christ. Who came to this planet for that purpose. To heal you. To make you whole. Let's pray. Father, this is a tremendous joy. To know that Jesus came for this purpose, for this reason, to rescue me. But as I think about the need for the rescue, I'm horrified by the things that I have done that caused you to send your son into this world to be born and to die 
for my sin. And yet I find great joy that you found glory in that. That your son was glorified as he died and suffered for me. And I pray for everyone in the room, Father, that needs to call upon your name today. That there is no better day. There may not be a tomorrow. And so I pray that they confess even now. Jesus is Lord. And I pray for those that have been struggling, like myself, that I believe. Lord, I need you to help me with my unbelief. That I might find freedom and and joy and, and fullness of life of following you. I pray, Heavenly Father, as we come to the Lord's Supper together, that we eat of the table and eat of that joy. Know your forgiveness in the cup where the sins have been forgiven. And there is now as far as the east is the west, and you remember them no more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.